Mr. Speaker. I'll never get I'll never get sick of that noise. It's so amazing. Right in the face. Uh Morena, uh, John Moore, Sarah Martin and Phil Ferguson, welcome to politics here on the Radio One Breakfast, brought to you by the Otago Museum. Oh very nice. Morena. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we've got a new sponsor. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty happy about it. Yes, good morning, Sarah. Big fan of the Good museum. Morning. Yes, morning. yes, I am too. Right, I'm excited about this morning. Not uh, only the fact that I, you know, I haven't done this for a couple of weeks, um, so you know, I've missed it. It's my favourite section on the show. Missed you, Jamie. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Uh, anyway, and two uh, two topics that are really meaty and gritty. So mm, good, controversial. Stuff. Yes, we're, and we'll, we'll get to the nurses and teachers and principals strike. Well, mm. Some principals, some are principals that have their own personal principles are kind of getting in the way. But I'll get down to that on a personal level soon. Uh, but we're going to start off with free speech and the alt light. <laughs> and the alt light. Two Canadian alt light, uh, far right commentators, uh, had an event in Auckland cancelled, or at least. Uh, the venue for it, or the the uh, owners of the venues, they said that the Auckland City Council said you can't speak here, uh, and then they got their visas denied anyway. Um, you know, this has sparked debate of uh, freedom of speech um, over f- uh, hate speech in New Zealand, and and what necessarily is hate speech. So we're going to start off, uh, I guess, Phil. I mean, sorry, um, John, uh, with Lauren Southern and Stefan Molyneux. Yes, Lawrence, who are they? Yeah, Lawrence Southern and Stephen Molyneux are two right-wing public intellectuals from Canada who are uh, building up quite a profile internationally uh, through their writings, through uh, um, through their videos on YouTube, mm. and through their their, their public engagement. Um, so, uh, well, the general outcry about these two speakers. Uh, <laughs> initially being um, uh, coming to New Zealand and uh, using the Bruce Mason Centre in Auckland which is owned by the Auckland City Council and the argument was that um, these two speakers are beyond the pale they're essentially, if not fascists uh, they're, they're at least white supremacists uh, both of them have um, uh, targeted um, Muslim communities yes. in their talks and um, Lawrence Southern who's probably, the, uh, I would say is the more detestable of the two Mm. Uh, has actually uh, actively worked with far-right groups um, in Europe, including identitarian right-wing groups. So identitarian right-wing groups are are groups that push a strong Eurocentric, uh, uh, white-centred ideology. Um, So she's worked with groups that have actually tried to stop uh, uh, NGOs sending out ships to to help um, uh, refugees and uh, and, and migrants uh, um, uh, coming from Africa and trying to gain access into Europe. So um, potentially, or maybe even actually, that's putting people's lives at risk when, mm. when you're uh, actually trying to stop uh, uh, NGOs actually going about their legal um, right to actually help uh, sh- uh, stranded refugees in the sea. So the big argument is, uh, should people as vile as this, as, as revolting as this, actually have the right to um, free speech? Uh, and, and the argument is that, um, one, 
uh, no, because there's a connection between what they say and 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 the potential for violent acts against um, groups such as um, people within who identify as Muslim in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, the argument for free speech is that well, this is really quite a slippery slope. Um, if, you, if, if you allow the state, and in this case the Auckland City Council, but the state as well in terms of their visas being turned down, to to exclude people from coming into New Zealand on the basis of their politics, because their politics are seen as extreme, then suddenly you could have a whole range of people from the left to the right, uh, from liberals to conservatives, banned from coming in New Zealand and banned from using um, public venues because their politics aren't seen as the right type of politics by the state. So do we really want to empower the state to do that? Mm, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's interesting you, you mentioned um, her work with certain groups and her, and you mentioned fascism at the beginning because of what I, some of the stuff that I had read, uh, and I'm trying to find it now, but I can't find it, is said that she denounced uh, neo Nazism and mm. uh, fascism in, in that way, and also, um, although she she is trying to get as many Afrikaans farmers into America as she possibly yes. can, and she's reporting on fifteen thousand Afrikaans farmers now moving to Russia apparently. Yeah. Um, so that points to a difficulty. Kind of, I yeah, think, she was kind com- of. Yeah. I, I mean, sorry. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish in a second. But I, I, I've, I've been reading this morning that she was actually kind of like against um, whitewashing. Like she, but um, in a way, like she's against the white nationalism, mm. but she's pro-nationalism. Mm. Well, it's interesting that the Southern Poverty Law Centre, which is an organisation in America that targets and, and writes about um, extremists and extremist groups, uh, hasn't gone as far as calling these uh, people uh, fascists, but yeah. see, it says they are borderline white nationalists. And I think it points to a problem where people conflate uh, anyone who's a nationalist, anyone who's anti-immigration, uh, uh, anyone who's a, a, is a bit sort of old-fashioned conservative with the extreme right. So people from Jordan Peterson, the uh, the, the the public intellectual Canadian public intellectual, who's um, suddenly probably the most well-known intellectual in the world at the moment. People like Milo Milo Yiannopoulos, mm. uh, the the right-wing provocateur, uh, gay Jewish, but um, very right-wing nonetheless, uh, even Donald Trump, uh, maybe Winston Peters here in New Zealand, uh, are all conflated as sort of basic being on the on the extremes of, of the right, and I think that's very problematic. And then the excuse is used, well, basically they're fascists, basically they're Nazis, uh, it's right to ban them. Mm, mm, interesting. I mean, uh, what, what's her name over in Australia? I'm surprised she's even allowed in Parliament with some of the stuff she says. Oh, Pauline like, Hanson. Pa- Pauline, you know, I mean, that's about as, you know, I mean, if we're not letting these people in, how is, she, well, because they're, they're not letting them into Australia either. Mm. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's interesting. Ironic. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what is, Phil, what is the def- legal definition of hate speech in New Zealand? And do you know, and, and what is your opinion on this? You know, do, should we repeat, um, protect people against these kinds of opinions, or should these opinions be debated in, in fear and open debate uh, so, other, so people can make up their own minds? I think it's much better to actually debate these views than to simply ban them. And the pro- I have a problem with the whole notion of, of hate speech and... I have a problem with the idea of hate crimes as well, actually. Um, And the thing with hate speech is that it's completely subjective. So we're already moving to this kind of slippery slope where if somebody is offended, and I think, was it one of the Green MPs who said this about it's... 
somebody is offended or they're hurt by what somebody says, you know, then that's that's bad, and some that speech sort of speech needs to be restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you say that hate speech, hate speech is speech that incites people to to violence, it's problematic as well, because there's a you know we're seeing this sort of blurring of lines between speech and actual violent activity. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody doesn't like me, I don't care what they say about me. But if they actually, you know, shoot me or something, that you know, to me, there's a qualitative difference there. It's not a continuum. There mm-hmm. is actually a qualitative difference. I don't mind people bad-mouthing me, but I don't, you know, I'm very hostile to the idea of being shot by somebody. Mm. You know, it's, it's a complete world of, world of difference. And what is free speech if it's only speech for people that say nice things, things that we agree with, you know, like free speech only really applies where somebody is saying something that is controversial and is going to offend somebody. Free speech, the whole issue of free speech doesn't even come up mm-hmm. if you're talking about, you know. Oh, if you're talking about Donald Trump, you know, the, yeah, le- yeah. the, the less reaction towards Donald Trump and some yeah. of the things that they say or, uh, you know, or left wing protesters uh, protesting government action that they don't like and they, they'll, they'll hurl abuse. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Do, Sarah, where do you sit on all this? Um, you know, I think uh, I think these these need nuanced approaches um, to some extent. You know, this is I think it, they haven't been banned. Let's just be clear about that. They haven't been banned. <coughs> there is no ban on free speech in New Zealand. Um, what they the, the council, the mayor has said tonight. I don't basically said dressed up in other words that I don't want this, this kind of speech on public on in public buildings and you know to some extent I have some sympathy feet with that um, I'm not sure I would want um, deeply racist deeply anti-immigrant people speaking at my kids local school for instance you know that is a place of of tolerance and they should public places should be places of tolerance and acceptance and diversity and humanity basically and to me these people what they're saying is the antithesis of all those values that are fundamental to um, to New Zealand's democracy. So I think it's careful not to say that these people have been banned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think they've been suppressed. I also think, you know, it's all very well for us, uh, for those of us who are in positions of majority and relative um, security within our countries to say, you know, just get a thick skin and these are just words. Mm. But to people who are in marginalised um minority positions who do face a certain amount of hostility and I'm talking about Muslims and immigrants and you know in previous times Jewish people if they do face certain degrees of hostility which often tip over into violence and um, inability to travel into other countries you know kids being taken off parents and locked in lots in security cages but I, I do think we have to be careful that we don't Facilitate. Uh, you know, we we do have to accept that they may not like to hear that kind of language used against them. Yeah. And I think they have a valid voice in, the, in our democracy in saying, "Hey, this is hateful. Um, it makes me fear for my life. It makes me fear for um, my security and my um, peaceful existence in this country. And that makes me worried that they shouldn't that they they shouldn't be allowed to speak, especially in public places in, in public buildings." 
Yeah, well, you see, you see just middle of the road New Zealanders and uh, all around the world. Uh, we see videos on people on buses getting abused and stuff like that. And a lot of the people that are giving this abuse are just your everyday people. There's all that hidden prejudice that sits underneath. Uh, and this kind of um, talk can give some legitimacy to that. These people might not be far right, they're just your normal everyday Kiwis, but they might have some hidden prejudice. A lot of people do, and a lot of people don't like to admit to it. And this kind of speech just gives them a little bit of reinforcement behind their kind of ideals. I mean, I know a lot of people that you would just consider normal, everyday, I've got relatives that you just think, oh, normal, everyday, and then they'll say something to me about the Treaty of Waitangi or something, and it just riles me right up. It's like, you, you've got no idea, you're just my normal family member, and you're saying this shit, it's just like, you're hidden little racism. But do you try to know, know flat for them? What's that? Do you try to know platform them essentially and no. say to them that they shouldn't speak? That no, they should no, 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 no. Or do you try to engage with them and I, actually I, try and change I their minds? I engage minds? with them and then I sigh a lot and then I'll <laughs> say it's time to get off the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think but then a, you'll, never, you'll never invite them back to your home again. Yeah, well, some of them I've got no choice. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain irony here that, 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 that two of the groups that are pushing for uh, these two far-right people to be banned, the Auckland Peace Action um, and, uh, and the New Zealand Federation of Islam Associations, could very easily be targeted by uh, hate crime laws and, and, and by campaigns to shut down people with offensive views. So Auckland Peace Action has a number of uh, far-left people in it uh, who, who are strongly anti-capitalist, who, mm. who target the minority business community. So uh, are, they, are they actually pushing extremist uh, hate crime um, type attitudes? I would say, of course, they're not, but that's my personal point of view. They, um, uh, if we say that extremists should not have access to public buildings, uh, uh, that extremists from overseas shouldn't have, get visas, then the very type of people who are at Auckland Peace Action could face ramifications from that precedent. Likewise, with the um, Muslim Federation of New Zealand, um, there have been cases in, in New Zealand where there's been um, imams who have been uh, videotaped and have been saying quite extreme things anti-Semitic statements. Um, r remember, all the Abrahamic religions, whether it's Judaism, Christianity or Islam, all state that they are the one true religion and mm. their other religions are false, uh, if, if not even the, the work of the devil. Is this hate crime? Should we actually be going around uh, monitoring religious groups, whether Christian fundamentalists or oh, Muslim we do with fundamentalists? Brian. Oh, yeah, but we don't say that he should be shut down. They should be in public buildings. Right, whether our public buildings, which are spaces of diversity, tolerance, should give them a platform. Well, well, isn't that the point about university, though? University is a public space, but it's also the kind of place where you're supposed to the have this debate. University is slightly different. Yeah, there's spaces of contest of ideas. I mean, yeah, would you feel comfortable with, being at, with, with your local school hosting them? No, 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 but school's a little bit different, I think. I don't know. Well, why are they different from um, a council building? Um, because my children are at school, <laughs> and children are easily you don't swayed. Want your children to hear these no, no, certainly not. And the children shouldn't be allowed in these kind of places. But I also implore uh, adults of faith not to put their faith on their children until their children have the right to to free thought, and they're at their age where they're not going to be susceptible to uh, pressures from. Um, 
parents on those kinds of topics. And the reality is that we have all kinds of mainstream politicians who use who use public buildings, and who are far more dangerous because they actually have the power to pass laws than these two people from Canada. You know, like it's only it's only a couple of years ago that we had absolutely persistent anti-Chinese um, sentiment being racked up by Labour politicians and nobody would suggest that you know, Phil Goff not be allowed to, to use um, public buildings or that the people in the Labour Party who are responsible for doing this, should Phil Twyford be allowed to use a public yes, building? Winston so Peters who has said ghastly things yeah. against Muslims and Chinese people in the past, should he be banned from um, attending any school then? And, and keep in mind so that many the... Of us said, many of us said that the Labour Party should have done that thing of targeting Chinese students, right? We said that was outrageous and they should be yeah, but, but nobody... We said, you know, that, that language is wrong and it shouldn't be used. But should they have been no-platformed at the time? If Labour leaders were uh, going around speaking at schools, would you have called for schools to ban those Labour election. Party leaders? So there is a difference. They are democratically elected. But that's, okay, that's so not a difference. So it's OK... It's OK to be racist and it's OK to be racist and make racist speeches if you're democratically elected. You no, should no, be allowed to use okay, public buildings. And you couldn't ban them from Parliament because they are democratic. But would you ban them from schools? Would you ban? Uh, would you set up a campaign I, I, to stop Winston I, I, Peters speaking I at schools? I would be happy with a school that um, bought that allowed um, people with a deeply racist platform. But should yeah. should they be banned from public buildings? Should Phil Twyford be have been banned by the Auckland City Council from <laughs> speaking at the Bruce Mason Centre? You know, like we're not. So, I don't. I don't think. To, if he was I, going to um, have a speech that was. Racist. I, I don't think it should be hosted at Well, well, they they use they, they use public buildings all the time to make those kinds of kinds of speeches. Like John and I don't think either John or I are saying those people shouldn't be protested. Oh. Like the, what they're saying is, is uh, you know, we completely disagree with, and it should be their their the speech and their their activities should be protested against. But it's a whole different issue about whether the state should, or the, the, whether it's local government or the national state, should actually deny, ban them from the, from the use of public buildings. So I think they should be protested against, certainly, and given a, given a hard time, but I don't think we should want the state to start deciding these people are not going to be able to use this building and whatever. And we've already got the situation now in Britain where the whole no platforming thing has been turned against people who support the Palestinians who are now labelled as anti-Semitic even though they clearly aren't. And Jermaine Greer, the, uh, the famous feminist Jermaine Greer, has been no platformed um, at universities throughout Britain yeah. because she is seen as being uh, using hate speech against transgender people. I don't like her views. I'm transgender people, I do think they're bigoted, but um, I, I think it's concerning when a whole range of people, from feminists to um, uh, to people who campaign against um, uh, Israel, etc., are being no platformed. Mm. All right, we're going to have to move on to the nurses because uh, it's really important. And, but we can keep going on this for ages. I just want to mention one name, Don Brash. Uh, he's, not, <laughs> yes. he's not elected yeah. anymore, but he can go yeah. around saying whatever the fuck he likes, and that guy's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, nurses strikes, teachers and principals uh, as well. They've agreed to strike action uh, that could take place by it, or, or, albeit uh, half a day. 
because they don't want to upset parents too much. Um, so that's just a little bit ridiculous uh, in itself. But nurses were on strike 24 hours starting yesterday uh, at uh, 6.45, uh, I believe, or about half past six. Um, uh, quickly, why are they on strike? Uh, nurses are on strike because they, they, they um, argue that the government is, isn't basically increasing their pay and conditions uh, enough and they have staggered over too long a time, uh, the, the proposed increases in pay by uh, nurses. And I think it's also a, a wider political issue that uh, the New Zealand Nurses Organisation, leaders within that organisation believe that uh, nurses traditionally have been uh, underpaid because it's a profession that's uh, dominated by women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this is a uh, an issue of equality and equity as well, gender equity as well, as well as being a class issue. Yeah, yeah, but it's not just about that either. It's about conditions. It's about uh, levels of nurses to patients, about uh, staff fatigue, long shifts, short staff, um, overworked. Um, that that is a massive issue. It's also about infrastructure, where you've still, you know, we're, we're quickly forgetting about mould in Middlemore. Mm. We're quickly forgetting about mould in uh, in buddy uh, Manukau City Hospital, uh, where they're having to spend millions of dollars on the infrastructure there, uh, and, and probably not enough. Uh, and and in a way, I think it could be um, a, a protest. Uh, against the past to let people know mm. just how bad the conditions were under the last regime and they can say that they were increased the budget over the last three years of the government term but that wasn't enough to meet the neglect of the previous six um, mm. so um, yeah everybody kind of is thinking the pay thing but I th- it, it goes a lot deeper than that and that's the same for the teachers too mm. class sizes have increased under national while private school class sizes certainly haven't and where do politicians send their kids exactly yes. yeah, yeah. yeah I mean I think you're absolutely right it is um, you know it's not just the last nine years it's actually 30 years of kind of shrinking state investments in public services and um, liberalisation of employment laws designed to drive down wages as well, that, you know, those um, deteriorating conditions, workload, low wages, combined with the fact that in the big cities, people on low wages are facing rampant rent increases. Um, I think it's a turning point. I think people have just said we've had enough. Yeah. Um, and although this is a bigger offer than they've been offered in, you know, um, 10 years, and they certainly wouldn't have got as good an offer under the previous government, I don't believe, um, I think people have just absolutely just reached up point yeah, had enough yeah. and um, you know are willing to um, put it on the line and say enough is enough they're not going to accept two percent a year because rent's going up 50 percent a year mm-hmm. you know um, and I think the time of these kind of very very low wage increases is possibly over I think um, public servants people working in the state sector as well and as, as low pay people in the private sector have faced zero to very minimal wage increases um, for a long time and they, they're not able to cope in the face of rent increases um, and I think also as well you know the, the gender angle to this John is, is absolutely critical is that you know the state has relied on underpaying women mm. you know, most of the people who are underpaid doing state, the state's work are women and um, the state has been willing to exploit their labour for um, decades really and I think um the union movement is certainly, um, you know, um, spearheading this this need for that to, um, to fundamentally change, and, and it will be a radical change because we're talking we're not talking two or three percent, we're talking twenty or thirty percent increases in wages for those women workers who have um, basically subsidised the state for decades. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, I guess one of the issues is, is where the money's going to come from, um, although it, it looks like the tax take, uh, the, uh, the la- latest um, numbers that came out, was up $300 million. Um, so the economy's working better than it had been previously, even under national. Um, so good on Labour for that. But that money's there, and that money should be used. Um, you know, is it time to go to a point where uh, New Zealand, the government, uh, in certain departments, isn't there to make money? Uh, it's there to have an even book, um, Phil? Well, part of the problem is the commodification of large chunks of the public sector where things used to be produced to some extent on the basis of what people needed and the role of public services um, public services wasn't to make money or, or even to break even. Mm. Um, and... You know that changed under the fourth Labor government, and that regime has been maintained ever since. So, people are having to buy education, buy health, and so on. Although they're still very, very largely uh, subsidised. But I think, yeah, that whole process of commodification had a very negative impact on both the people, the workers that needed to buy those services, and the workers who were actually. Um, producing those services and especially like Sarah said in in the case of women in the health sector and some other sectors as well Mm. where absolutely institutionalised chronic low pay um, has been, yeah, it's completely institutionalised and you know, it's the 21st century God, God, you know, the Equal Pay Act 1973 I think it was and you know, we're 72. we're 72, thanks. Um, and we're, you know, almost 50 years later, and we still have this situation. It's just appalling. Yeah. I wonder if we're starting to miss the 49% dividends um, from the power companies that we sold off just a couple of years ago. <laughs> I wonder if we are. And once again, where did that money go? Well, uh, we've got, see, Labor's committed to, to the Fiscal Responsibility um, Act. And so I think it's going to be difficult for them because they've partly raised expectations that things would get better. It's probably the first time in about 40 years that an income, their party has raised expectations in order to get elected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not going to be able to deliver. And I think you've got that frustration um, building where um, there was an interesting article in the spin-off back in March and there was a nurse who's part of the nurses negotiating team as well saying, you know, like, we thought things were going to get better and they haven't. Yeah. yeah. And that was just four months into the new government. Mm -hmm. So I think that is going to be an issue over the next couple of years. It's going to be interesting to see how things develop. Hopefully workers will get a, a lot more bullshit because they need to, to just even claw back some of what's been taken away over the last... You know, since the fourth Labour government. Mm-hmm. Right, Sarah, just finally, uh, one more thing from you. Um, uh, they're going to go all the way, right? We're, we're not going to see them uh, slightly back down after a while. Um, this, if they don't get the conditions that they deserve, the, f- the pay that they deserve, um, do you think that the nurses and hopefully the teachers too um, will go all the way with these strike actions and, and con- continue to have uh, stop work and, and strikes until... Uh, conditions and pay improve to the uh, point with it to the level that they want it. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not close enough to um, people working in those industry. I know they're really, really set up, but um, I also know that it's incredibly hard for these people to get on strike. They um, 
know, they are motivated by public services, such as they have um, deep, deeply felt commitments to the people that they um, deliver their services to. So I hope they feel enough solidarity from all of us to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important that um, all of us show solidarity for those workers and um, support them in their strike action so that, you know, because there will be a a strong backlash against them and um, I think it's really important that all of us who depend and use their services every day um, get out there and show our solidarity and support them mm-hmm. um, in this journey. Um, I, I don't know what can happen if the government really proves that it's not going to pop up any money but you know these are, these are games, these are negotiations so um, everyone's keeping their cards close but um, you know and yeah I think they are, they are set up, but the last time I understand the nurses was, um, it was not, you know, it wasn't an uh, overwhelming majority. People will start having difficulties voting for that. So, yeah. yeah. All of us need to get out there and support them. Yeah, show them the support that's out there too so they can continue the struggle. All uh, right, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming in, everybody. Cheers. Uh, it's wonderful as always. Uh,